a yoga is actually a method it's a method towards enlightenment it's a pathway to finding the truth about yourself and about the world you live in and I've been teaching yoga now for intermittently for 20 years but I thought I'd go back a little before that and I found an advertisement in the newspaper for the Rosicrucians have you heard anyone heard of the Rosicrucians yeah so I duly became a member of this very ancient uh, mystical body of people they've been in existence for many hundreds of years and I became a member of this Rosicrucian order they teach the meaning of life they talk about cosmic law they talk about natural law and the purpose of the universe and I found it immensely satisfying and very rewarding and through them I learned meditation this was a very profound experience for me and after some time meditating in the way that they taught I had what would be called a transcendental experience I was meditating on a candle following the ritual that they suggested and I felt engulfed by a, a white light and this white light was all illuminating it put me in touch with the source of everything and I felt a state of bliss it was immensely happy and I felt that I knew while I was in that state that there was this good power behind the universe which was all-powerful and although man has free will he doesn't have free will to destroy planet earth so when we have these scares about nuclear explosions and nuclear war I always think back to that experience and I know that this planet will always go on because we do not have the, the, free, the freedom to destroy it well as you can imagine this was a very exciting unexpected experience and I felt on a real high for, for several weeks <coughs> and I did find it a very difficult experience to cope with I was incredibly happy and the rest of the world seemed such an illusion this course that I was doing with the Rosicrucians was a postal course and I had nobody that I could go and talk to and ask about these things that I was experiencing so by the time I wrote away saying look I've experienced this what do I do a week or so had gone by and it really wasn't a great deal of help so I looked around for I asked for guidance what do I do now and I saw an advertisement in the local newspaper and it was written by a local lady who lived just down the road and she ran a yoga class in the village hall so I talked to her and she suggested that I came along so I did I went down to this class and immediately felt really very much at home I did feel as though this is the place I needed to be and it would give me what I needed so after a while in the class as a student Pam the teacher suggested that she thought I should be teaching she thought I had a lot to share with people well I was really shocked I was very shy at that time I, I couldn't talk to three people let alone 30 and I felt really sort of really horror struck at the, at the very prospect of talking to any groups or teaching so time went on she was very wise she didn't push it and she just left me with that thought and I was still meditating at that time but instead of finding 
the peace and the stillness as I had been used to finding in meditation. I just heard five words in my head and those words were you will be public speaking and every time I sat to meditate this is all I had and I didn't find the peace and the stillness it was just you will be public speaking so after a while I, I really stopped to think about this and I thought well if I believe in a cosmic order if there is a scheme of things this is my guidance I'm free to choose to reject it if I wish or I can accept it and take the path that that will lead to so I decided that I would I would accept the guidance and once I did the meditation took on the old pattern the peace and the stillness came back and also a confidence which I'd never had before all the shyness went and I felt empowered because I felt as though I was in tune with a greater power so I told Pam that I changed my mind that I would take the teaching diploma and of course she was very pleased she said well she knew that was the right thing anyway mm. so I duly enrolled for the diploma course and to my immense surprise once I got into it I realized that all the work I'd done through the Rosicrucians was just the same in yoga the main difference being that the yoga had the physical aspect to it which the Rosicrucians didn't so I didn't have to put in anything like as much work as I imagined and I got through the course fairly quickly and took the, uh, the teaching exams now in the, um, the syllabus that you need to cover for the teaching you have to do various sample classes of what you would do for different groups of people and for the advanced class I suggest doing a healing circle and 20 years ago that was something of a, an unusual thing to be doing these days it's much more commonplace but years ago it was a bit strange to be thinking of doing healing circles in yoga so with a, a little trepidation I put this in my exam paper that that's what I would do and it was just one series of surprises after another because I had a glowing uh, mark at the end of it, a glowing report and they were very pleased that I'd suggested this and gave me a distinction and I thought, yeah, this is just one amazing event after another so shortly after I'd qualified we moved away from Uxbridge it was as though I needed just to be there at that time just to get this together and then we were posted and moved again so we moved then to Westbury in Wiltshire and there I took up teaching I hired a little church hall and started teaching and I did that as karma yoga and I will explain more about that in a minute I did find during those early years I was involved a lot with people who were bonded negatively to each other and I seemed to be invited to talk with these people to try to clear the relationship problem that they were having and if you like later on if there's any questions you can ask me about that later so this went on for some years and I didn't receive any payments for this this was karma yoga but our lives took a, a different turn we needed some more money the mortgage rate went up and my husband's salary wasn't enough to pay for the house and we needed to have another income so I 
gave up teaching and went into a career in horticulture. And I ran a nursery for 10 years, teaching mentally handicapped adults. And all the background experience of the psychic abilities, the intuition, all came into play then because I don't know if any of you have worked with adults with learning disabilities, but you're going along perfectly normally one moment and then suddenly the whole world changes and you've got a crisis and it happens very rapidly within seconds you've got a crisis on your hand and this is a, a big nursery that I was running it was a three acre site and they could have been anywhere amongst that three acres and somehow I knew when they were in trouble because there was a lake there there was machinery and I somehow knew when they were doing things that they shouldn't be or they were in danger and I would go herring off at the other side of the nursery to rescue them from the danger they were about to get into. But at the end of the 10 years I was getting rather frustrated with the administration problems and the politics and the lack of support from the superiors and one thing and another. I decided I'd had enough in in the rat race and gave up a well-paid career in horticulture and went back to teaching yoga. Healing is still a very important aspect of my work. I tend to think of it as a healing process. Now, when people come to a yoga class, I would say most people come with a problem. They have uh, relationship difficulties, physical problems or emotional upsets or something similar. They usually want to find peace of mind. They usually want to de-stress. So most people arrive with their mat under their arm looking totally frazzled and very uptight and come in hoping for miracles. Well I don't ever say to anybody that this is a miracle cure but I do find people find a lot of help and they keep coming back. So, starting off with the physical aspect, and this is the Hatha. Can you see down the back there? You okay? The Hatha Yoga. That word Hatha means sun and moon. The HA in Sanskrit is sun, the THA is moon. So you've got the sun and moon energies, and by that we mean the opposites. We're balancing the opposite of energy. We live in a world of duality. We have pain and suffering. We have joy and sorrow. And we have darkness. We have light. Um, I'm sure you can think of some others. We, we can't avoid these opposites. We have to accept them as part of our lives. But what we can try to do is find the middle path that reduces the suffering, it reduces the pain, and it gives a balance and it's walking this middle path in life without falling to the real extremes that gives this peace. So, most people start off their yoga experience in the, in the Hatha section with the physical exercises. And also in there we have breathing exercises. Now the breathing exercises are really just as important as the physical stretches. If you think about it, you, could, you can live for weeks without food. I know you wouldn't like it, but you could live for weeks without food. You could live for days without water. It wouldn't be pleasant, but you could exist.
How long can you exist without breathing? Very experienced yogis can exist for a very long time without breathing because they have done very rigorous disciplines for many years. But for the ordinary folks like you and I, breathing is pretty important. So the way we breathe actually contributes or depletes our energies. It either enhances our stamina or tires us, depending on how we breathe. And most people breathe only in a quarter, the top quarter of their lungs. They don't breathe deeply, they don't really get the circulation of air that they should do. So we learn about breathing, we learn about exercise, stretching the body, getting it flexible, getting the muscles working. Relaxation is a very important part of that and if you ask any yoga student, the bit they look forward to most is the relaxation, just lying down, being talked to in a soothing voice, sometimes with music, and really letting go, letting someone else take the strain. Somebody else, the teacher, is sort of taking responsibility for you and you can lie there and just let the body really relax, let the spine relax and all the tension in the shoulders, in the head and all through the body. So there we have the first part of the yoga experience. There are seven major areas, lots of small areas as well, but <coughs> I'm going to talk to you about the main areas. And the second area is the layer yoga, and that's the one I'm particularly interested in. It's concerning the healing energies in the body. It's the chakra system, and there's a chart over here. I know you can't see these little bits and pieces, but you can get a general idea. The, the chakra system is not something well understood in the West. It's a very Eastern concept, but you can actually prove the existence of these energy centers through Kirlian photography. Anyone tried Kirlian photography? Anyone had their hands photographed? Yeah? You know a little bit about it. We had, um, two years ago or thereabouts, we had Rosemary Steele down from the Kirlian mm. Institute in London. Did you? And uh, quite a lot mm. of people did put their hands mm. on it and, and mm. she, she diagnosed all sorts, all sorts of things. Yeah. Not only illnesses, mm. but uh, personality attributes. Yes, from, from, yes from that's right. Yeah. It was fascinating. Mm. Yes, I've had my hands done. And through the, the emanations through the hands that come out on this photograph, a therapist can actually tell you where your weaknesses are, where you've had traumas, where you've got sort of injuries in the body, all sorts of things. And your strengths, of course, as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. And with, this, uh, with these energy centers, a clairvoyant can see them. Uh, if you're not clairvoyant, then they, they just aren't there as far as you can see, but some people can see them. So I, I'll come back to that one later and go on to the third area, which is mantra. That's sound, it's chanting. In most traditions, most inspirational, religious, or uh, philosophical traditions, people sing. And the range of voice actually promotes health because it gets all these energy centers moving. It gets the vibration going through the body. And Chanting can lift negative energies. So if you're feeling down and depressed and you can bring yourself to sing or hum, it will vibrate the body. You will feel the vibration in your body and it will help to get your energy moving. 
I'm sure a lot of you have heard of the OM, and that is considered to be the universal sound, the sound of creation, the Big Bang. This is the Eastern belief that that was the sound that started creation way back in time. So we have these three areas which are working from the outer periphery of consciousness in towards the inner self. So I'll just turn this one over a moment. And we go to the fourth area of yoga. As you can probably deduce from this, that yoga is a method, it's meditation, it's exercise, it's an attitude which you then bring into your everyday life. So it's a system that can be used in any walk of life. There are no creeds or dogmas or rules. You can use this in whatever you choose to do. Janana Yoga is concerned with the mental aspects of living and it's really where I started with the Rosicrucians. Most people would start with the physical, with the Hatha Yoga. But I really started here with the mental aspects, studying wisdom and discrimination. And with this study, uh, with this deep thought, it does promote intuition as it did with me. It really wakened up my right side of the brain. I expect you know the left side of the brain is concerned with logic. The right side of the brain is the intuition, the creative side. And it really woke my right brain up very rapidly, too rapidly for me to handle it really. And with this comes the, the dilemma of good and evil. Now, that's where I started, right back in Germany all those years ago, wondering why the suffering, what was it all for? So I really started here. I started with the question of good and evil, went on to learn wisdom and discrimination, or try to, and developed my intuition. The next, the fifth area of yoga is the Bhakti, and this doesn't appeal to very many people. It's a devotional lifestyle for people who want to join an ashram or a convent or a monastery and set themselves apart from the world. There's sometimes criticism for people who do this. They, they say they're not sort of taking their responsibilities in the world, but I don't actually agree with that. I feel that the energies that they give out are very valuable. They're like beacons of light and they are radiating out a lot of good energy and without it I think the world would be a much worse place. So it is a surrender to a lifestyle without the ego, not for everyone. Karma Yoga, this is the yoga of service. When I started teaching, I said earlier that I, I taught karma yoga. By that I meant I taught the ordinary yoga, but I didn't take any reward. I just took enough to cover the cost of the hall and nothing else. And anything else I made extra to that, I gave back to the church. So it was my gift because I'd received so much from the classes I'd attended and I gave this back as my way of saying thank you. It also involves a study of cause and effect. I think most of us come up to this one ultimately, that we start asking why things happen and then look to see 
if you go back to the beginning of the problem you can see a cause and then you can see an effect and it's actually working out how to stop making these negative effects and to start dealing with all the problems of the past and then trying to walk this middle path so that you don't get your life quite so complicated the last main area is Raj Yoga and that's to do with ethics it's self-discipline on all levels very strict self-discipline I have a poster somewhere the terms we use in yoga for these disciplines are yama and niyama yama is conduct to all living things it's an outward expression and it's all the things we think of as virtues kindness, gentleness, non-violence truthfulness, honesty, moderation, temperance all the things that would appeal to any person of deep thought as being good qualities Niyama is conduct towards ourselves and we have cleanliness of body and mind contentment self-discipline or austerity now austerity is the art of recognizing and avoiding the unnecessary sometimes we think we can see problems and we feel we want to rush in and do something but one really has to weigh up the situation because sometimes it can be made worse by rushing in sometimes it takes a lot more strength and discipline to stand back and wait sometimes that is the right thing to do so this austerity is really acting rather than reacting self-study on the physical, mental, psychic and spiritual levels and devotion to duty a devotion to a high ideal to God whatever you conceive God to be and for each of us it's different we each have our own path to walk and we each have to find our own meaning and it is this constant search to find a meaning so there we have the seven main areas and there's a summary there so with the first one we have the exercise the physical aspects, the breathing exercises second is to do with energy that's cosmic energy, healing energy within the body third area is mantra the concentrating on sound and chanting fourth area is jnana, the mental aspects Bhakti Yoga is a devotion to duty, selfless devotion. Karma is service. And people in this area, you will find perhaps doctors and nurses, social workers, ministers of the church, all working selflessly, trying to help others, seeing their problems, seeing their errors, but not judging and trying to show them a pathway out of it. And the last one is working on oneself, the ethics of your life. So there we have the, the seven main areas. Is there anything anyone would like to say at this point? Do you want to ask me anything? Or are you alright for me to carry on? Uh, just one thing came to me. It, um, 
while this was all developed in the East, of course, it's very ancient, isn't it, this knowledge? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it didn't probably originate in India either, did it? Probably Not necessarily. Pre-Indian. Yeah. 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 Um, so it was perhaps universal. Is there, I know there's a Western Eastern tradition. Was this also being taught by the, the Druids and the pre-Druids and other groups in the West uh, at the same time? I don't know that. I don't know. Um, I know it comes into the sort of uh, hermetic tradition, or to some extent. The universal truth tends to come through all these major traditions in mm. different forms. I, I think possibly this sort of system maybe wasn't. I'd never heard of it being taught mm. in the Druidic um, culture, but the, the basic truths behind it all run through all the traditions, don't they? Yes, well, I would have thought mm. so, and I was wondering, mm. you know, the things like mm. the Hopi Indians or the Atlanteans, yes. because we don't know about the Atlanteans enough. To, no, I don't know that much about them. Yeah. Um, but obviously the Theosophical tradition says it, it originated in Atlantis or before mm. that. Mm. Um, I think that these different traditions put emphasis on different areas. Um, mm. Yoga tends to be the emphasis is on exercise and meditation. Mm. Whereas some of these other traditions work on contact with the earth energies or with the cosmic energies mm. and working through with animals and plants. That the, the yoga tradition is very much concerned with the body and the mind and th the sort of physical aspects. Mm. I shall have to do some reading and see if I can find out. Does anyone else know whether there's any sort of links in other traditions? No? Okay. Is there anything else? Anything you'd like to add? Or shall I go on? Yeah. I'm trying to be clear about the term yoga. So yoga involves all of those things. Mm -hmm. So what is yoga? Is it a religion or some kind of... It's a way of life, really. It's, it's a method. Um, it's incorporating respect and observance of the body and the body's needs, the mental aspects, the psychic aspects, the spiritual, and learning to work with all those things and then taking it out into your life and working in communities or in your workplace or wherever and applying those things that you've learnt, the control and the, the mastery that you have learnt through observing the, the different aspects of yoga and it, it brings about a, a serenity because you, you don't feel quite so vulnerable you don't feel quite such a victim in life you tend to feel more in control that doesn't mean to say that it's an ego trip it shouldn't be an ego trip but it does bring about a feeling of not being lost that you do belong and you do feel part of a great scheme of things and perhaps that will become a little more clear when I talk to you about the chakra energies. If you like to look at the colours here, this, this diagram is really a sort of an artist's impression because the energy, that centre there appears to be below the body. In fact, it isn't. It's at the base of the spine. But if you look at the colours, you've got red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo and violet. Now, where have you seen those colours before? <laughs> In the rainbow. You see, everything is one. We are part of everything and everything is part of us. We are not separate. We have a special individuality, 
a special quality which makes us human beings but we can't live without all those other things we need the plants to survive we need the plants to give oxygen we need to eat the plants we need the animals and the animals need the plants too they eat the plants we eat the animals and it's a cycle it's all a cycle and we all are part of everything and there is a unity and the feeling the fear that drives so many people is this feeling of being separate of not belonging and once you get the feeling that you, you do belong you belong to the brotherhood of man and you belong to this cosmic order and there is a, a reason behind everything and it's for you to search for it and it's in this search that you find lovely people just like a group like this and you, you just get a feeling of warmth and belonging <coughs> I think anyone that goes to these Wessex groups regularly would know that you, you get a lovely warm feeling of support and strength and unity right so let's move on then chakra energies a chakra is a wheel or a vortex and it is situated in the electromagnetic field around the body it's not physically in the body it's in the electrical energy around the body you're all aware that you have electrical energy I presume if you rub your hands together I won't do it because I shall interfere with the microphone if you rub your hands together you can get a friction and you can then feel a cushion and that is demonstrating your electromagnetic energy so we're going to start off with the base chakra and the base chakra is actually at the bottom of the spine right at the, the tailbone and there is an energy center there which links into the glandular system as well and as the light from the outside world reacts with your physical body it creates light and anyone with clairvoyant sight will see that energy around the base of the body as being red a red energy if that energy is healthy and the person is feeling strong and well they will be a good mixer they will get up and go it's, it's the drive for living it's, it's wanting to get involved and do things and be uh, it's a survival instinct really if that energy center is depleted or damaged then it will appear dark it will look a dark red perhaps even going on to dark brown or black and if that energy center is abused it can make a person violent and the criminal element tend to be damaged in that area that the, the energy center is overcharged it is overworked and it is just out of control and that can create violent tendencies as, as a sort of an aside to that I was reading the other day that they did an experiment in a prison and painted all the walls pink and it had a pacifying effect on the violent prisoners has anybody else read that? yeah if they had painted those walls red they would have probably killed each other but pink is, is a very pacifying colour and it brings down the, the sort of the aggression so we have the base or root center it's the center for survival stamina physical energy the next center is the orange center and in fact it's halfway between the waist and the base of the spine so it's in the sacral 
part of the body. It's concerned with creativity and nurturing. And someone who is strong in that energy will have a magnetism that you will feel it when you are with someone. You will feel their personal magnetism and a sense of being well. They will come over as being a well person. If that energy center is low, and, and in the drawing it should be more up there, if that energy is low, they will not be able to mix very well in society. They won't be able to make strong relationships. There won't be the ability to bond with other people. And sometimes these energy centers have not been developed properly from childhood. They haven't been given the right stimulus in childhood, so therefore they, a person will grow up with those areas weakened. But you can work on that. It is not a sentence forever. You can work on that and improve the strength in, in there. Uh, the next center then is the solar plexus, and that is here under the rib cage. As the name implies, the solar plexus, very much influenced by the sun. How many of you just long to feel the sun after the winter? You just know that you're going to feel better, don't you? It's, it's so natural for all of us. We just long to see that sunlight because your spirits lift and you feel so much stronger. And it is the energy reservoir in the body, a bit like the battery charger. If your battery is flat, you, you just don't get anywhere. So you just need to have this energy center charged. And I will show you, if you're interested later, some exercises to work on that center, to charge up your energy if you're feeling tired. You have an optimistic attitude with the sun and the solar center working well. You have optimism and personal power. When you meet somebody, I'm sure most of you do this, I do anyway. When you meet somebody, it only takes seconds and you make a judgment, a sort of an assessment of how they feel, don't you? Can you pick this up? Do you feel this? Yes? That you feel if they're tired, if you shake their hand, you, you sort of pick up messages, don't you, about how they feel. It's this center, really, that you're tuning into, the solar plexus center, and you can feel that reaction there. It's the gut reaction. When you have news of some kind, good news or bad news, you can get a sort of tightening there. It feels really hard and tight. And sometimes if it's a, a severe shock, you can actually react inappropriately. You can cry when you're happy and you can laugh when you're sad. Because it's a shock. It's really getting at the gut there. So that centre is yellow. And we do do visualization exercises in yoga to. You, you had the word intellect written down there. Yes, sorry. Did I? Not that surprised me so much. Yeah. These the first two centers are concerned mostly with the physical aspects. Going into this center, we're into the center of the body, and this works on the physical energy, also on the mental energy. So we're getting, we're moving from the physical energies, now we're moving more into the mental energies and this is a halfway house so you've got the physical aspects and the mental. People who have a lot of study to do need to have some yellow around them, some yellow fabric or some bright colours 
because it will help them to study more effectively. Because of my clairvoyance, um, particularly Ledbetter, I remember in some of his books, he, saw, he said, and Danny Bennett doesn't said that yellow was strong in the aura of, a, of an intellectual yes. person with a lot of intellect. Yes, yeah. yes that's right. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So, if, if you've got a lot of reading to do, please don't surround yourself with grey or brown or dull colours. Bring bright colours around you. Try and wear something bright because it gives you the energy. Colour is energy. And once you start tuning into colour, you'll realise how much it can give you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of energy. I, I mean, working, having worked in a nursery for so many years, um, if I walk into a greenhouse and stay there for a, a, a little while, I can really tune into the plants and, and get a real lift, a real buzz from that. I, I noticed this first when we used to do propagation in the greenhouses, and especially with conifers. We used to find an immense strength from little conifers as they started to root. The, the energy that came off them used to make me feel really as though I'd only just got up instead of, you know, at the end of an eight-hour day or whatever. It was a very, very satisfying, exciting experience. So we're going now into the, uh, the heart centre. Can I just ask one thing briefly before we go? Yeah. You said earlier that red, you know, if it had been red, people would have been attacking each other. But red does have a good side to it, doesn't it? I mean, oh, yes. It's courage, endurance, yeah. and I- initiative, and that sort of thing. Yes, that's and right. And crimson red is often better than scarlet red, isn't it? Yes. Well? Uh, yes. So one, one doesn't necessarily think that red is bad, does one? No, no. None of these colours are bad. It's when mm. they're in balance. Mm. And it's when there is a predominance of one colour that the personality can be a little lopsided, if there's too much of one colour, that for the true balance you need a little of everything, moderation in all things. So yes, I mean red is a wonderful colour and it does, it is energising and if the person is motivated well, it, it gives a lot of energy, a lot of courage and it's a survival instinct. It's, it's, we all have this, we all have this survival instinct. So all these colours are valuable it's just how well they are balanced and if we are depleted in one it affects others <coughs> it affects other areas I, I mean, we have to say that nobody is totally fit I mean, we all have little bits and pieces wrong with us nobody is absolutely fit but it's a question of striking that balance and trying to keep a stability in all aspects of life so the heart centre is the center for compassion so the red center is is to do with emotions so is the heart but it's on a slightly different level so whereas the the red center is more to do with sexual drive and the survival instinct the heart is to do with compassion and altruistic love now we live in very difficult times and unconditional love is very difficult trying to love everyone unconditionally but with the development of the heart center the ability to reach out to others without judgment becomes easier and for clairvoyant who can see these colors around the body this center if the person is happy will be a lovely green a jade 
emerald green. If the person is very sad, it will look dark. If they have, say, just broken up with a relationship, uh, a young man and young woman have parted company and they are feeling very sad, that area will actually look broken. We talk about a broken heart, but to a clairvoyant that is real because they will see it as being fragmented. They may even see it shot through with a darker colour, perhaps red. We talk about a bleeding heart. And these little phrases do have their roots in truth. If you look back in legends and in traditional beliefs, they do actually come, they are much truer than you think. An interesting thing to do with, with heart energy is if a couple are attracted to one another, it is probably because they complement each other's needs. That maybe one person is, is very generous with their emotions, but they, are not, they haven't got a lot of energy, so they get very tired. They keep giving a lot, but they haven't really got a lot of stamina. And they meet a partner who is much more down-to-earth, got a lot of energy, not quite so sympathetic, but just gets on with the job. Together, they make a wonderful team, because one complements the lack in the other. But gradually, over time, they balance each other out. One takes and one gives on both sides, and then after a while they find they don't have so much in common anymore. The needs don't seem to be there. And this is then a time for assessment in that relationship because it's changed. The balance has been found and it, the whole structure of the relationship has changed. It doesn't mean to say they've got to split up, but it means they've got to look to see where they're going from there because they've met the initial needs and it's a new phase to go into. So, going up to this area now, this is into the throat and obviously to do with communication. If this area is working well, a clairvoyant will see the, uh, the colour around here as pale blue. Words are power and with kind words said appropriately, one can heal. Words said unkindly with anger can be very destructive and I would say that if one can say the right thing just at the right moment it can change the course of another person's life because words are power and said with knowledge and wisdom they can be very soothing and comforting so what we say and how we say it is actually important. The third eye, this is the brow centre, and this is the area that clairvoyance used, and this is the psychic centre. So people with this sensitivity developed will have worked on their intuition and will be able to see a wider picture. They will be able to maybe see these colours around a person and they will be able to see things that most of us can't see. They, they will be able to see a little ahead or they will be able to see what has caused things in the past. And they will just get a wider view. And this also can be very comforting to other people. And then we're going now into the, the last area. 
and that is at the crown of the head and when the crown center is opened and working well it brings enlightenment and peace and union with the divine it is what in yoga we call the thousand petaled lotus each of these centers if you look at the diagram these are called petals around the center lotus with different numbers of petals they actually all the different petals relate to the main nerve channels that go into the body at that point but the thousand petaled lotus is at the top of the head and is the most sensitive area of all if you think of um, church windows and you see a picture of a saint in the window they have a halo don't they around the head and it's usually gold the yellow from the intellect because it's wisdom it's knowledge it's study and it's enlightenment and bliss so there you have the the fulfillment if you like the the goal most of us have quite a long way to go before we we get that sort of uh, condition but we all have halos around the body it's the color that's important we all have this electrical field so I think I'm going to stop just there and see what you would like to ask if there's anything you'd like to ask if you understand what's been said and if there's anything you'd like me to go over again when you said the third eye just now was a colour did you say brown? indigo yes I thought it was that you mm. said brown I couldn't indigo. I misheard you indigo is a sort of purple it's a mixture of red and blue and it's uh, it's the royal color isn't it okay. it's the color of the royal robes there's something that I hadn't thought before this business of the colors exactly corresponding to the colors of the spectrum I mean mm. I sort of realized that they were different colors but I hadn't realized that they actually went in the same order yeah as the colors of the spectrum mm. and this presumably means that in the light everywhere in the world and the universe in fact you have these seven principles interpenetrating everything yes and it applies yes. to all matter not just human beings yes. but all matter yeah the air the mineral world the plant world yeah. the animal world mm. everything yes <coughs> it's the it's the use of these colors that determines the shape for instance the plants are mostly green they are drawing on one particular aspect of the spectrum mm. the human being is is the most complex of all beings on the planet and we we have the ability to use all these colors and we, we have greater knowledge than most animals with maybe the exceptions of the dolphins there's a lot of work being done with dolphins at the moment now Stanley Messenger has given us a, a range of lectures over the last two years in which he has said, including here I think that there's a new heart centre developing yes, which is I blue it's turquoise isn't it? Uh, well maybe it's sort of common yeah, it's, it's between the two yeah. it's supposed to be between these two colours and it's a turquoise yeah, okay. I think David Icke was saying that as well mm. have you heard uh, what Stanley says it's blue but maybe it's, it's uh, maybe, I mean interchangeable with the turquoise or but 
Do you like to comment on that at all, what the significance of it is? Is it something to do with the, the new age, of the inverted commas? I would think it's a combination of the wisdom and the compassion. It's it perhaps um, a merging of the two centres, becoming more one really large centre. Mm. And it's the wisdom of the... The healing is very much a part of the New Age movement. People are really very interested in alternative therapies and this, this caring for others, for the altruism. So that, that is, is my comment, that it would be an opening out of the heart instead of the, the small family unit as we've experienced it in the past. It's opening out to this wider family unit of the all peoples throughout the world. The age of the group, as uh, some people yeah. call the age of mm. Aquarius. Yeah. One other small thing, you referred um, a few minutes ago to the red bottom chakra as the sexual one, but here you've marked the orange one as the sexual one. Well, this is where this diagram doesn't line up exactly, because the sacral area is here. It's the area of the womb, and so it should really be slightly higher. I think this was just done for artistic effect, really, because mm. that one is actually the base of the body. It is actually um, close to the coccyx on the spine, mm. and this one is above that. Mm. So, so really the sexual one is the red one. It's the, the red, and this is the, the nurturing aspect, the creative mm. abilities. People who have their creative abilities well-developed perhaps will enjoy um, painting and culture and philosophy. It, it's a sort of creative approach to life. Mm. So these energies at the bottom move very slowly. They're, they're the coarser energies and as we move through the body the vibration is quicker. And when we get to the top it is really spinning very quickly. Um, yeah. The chakras were they're not an actual organ there's not actually something that if you were to cut the body open that you would find it there as I understand it it is like a vortex of energy of electrical energy so it's not something very tangible but it is something that can be photographed and seen if you have the ability to see in that way they're saying that they are actually located inside the body but can be protected outside the body or something. Yeah, yeah. Yes, they would connect and influence the glands in the body. Yes, yeah, Serena Rennie-Dubo gave us a couple of lectures about four or five years back connecting each chakra with the, uh, with the corresponding endocrine gland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Are they the same colours as the aura around the body? Well, the, these centres, this is where the energy originates and then it will, it will flow out around the body. So, someone with clairvoyant sight would see colours. They may see red energy not only at the base, but they might see it around the side of the body because it will move through as you work and move and exercise. These colours will move through the aura. And well, it, we only saw it, they see it in this area then, they all the way. It's usually stronger around the head and the shoulders. The energies are stronger there, and that's where they usually see colours. But um, 
people tend to specialize in these things clever ones tend to have their own particular area where they can work and some people can see for instance a dark area where there is illness or, or possible illness because illness starts outside the body first it starts in the astral plane and if it isn't dealt with there it becomes physical later and a clairvoyant can sometimes see a dark patch around the body before it actually manifests Do they see a gap sometimes when there's something wrong? It's broken me? Yes, I think you'll, you'll find that people work very individually with these things and they have their own way of understanding what they see but yes, as I understand it, they can see like sometimes a dark hole or a crack some people who are perhaps very uh, vulnerable sort of people their aura will seem as though it's not complete ideally it would be an oval, a complete oval which is protective to the person so it doesn't allow negativity to come into the body but somebody who's very weak I mean, all sorts of reasons why they might be weak if they are, the aura will look as though it's broken it maybe look jagged somebody who's angry, the aura will look spiky and it does feel like that if you're around somebody that's angry at you it does feel prickly, doesn't it? you feel as though it's, it's like knives being aimed in your direction so I think it's a, a sort of an individual thing that people will interpret it in their own way They probably are, yes. I mean, the um, the rituals throughout all traditions tend to be to um, to dress people up and to give them jewels. And if someone is feeling very well and enlightened, they will be sparkly. Their personality will seem to sparkle. And really, jewellery is just trying to do that for a person, it's trying to make them sparkle and to put lights or jewels around the head is really trying to uh, to give that person the power of the the crown, you see, it is the crown centre and, and an actual um, metal or gold or whatever, a crown there would, would be to enhance those um, higher energies that's also supposed to be true of the energy that comes from the consecrated um, bread and wine communion service uh, Claire Boynt down in Bournemouth, René Cordo mm. a few years ago gave us a talk partly about that he said it was a sparkling energy he saw yeah. a glow around the sacrament yeah. and then when you yeah. take that, the idea, the reason yeah. why the sacrament was instituted mm. by Jesus even though mm. it's been done mainly repetitively by the church without the church's understanding Mm. Why it's done, nevertheless, mm. has served its purpose yeah. of conveying this sparkling energy to people yeah. who take it. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. isn't to say that's the only way of getting it, but it's one way of mm. getting it. And Dead Beater wrote a, a large book called The Science of the Sacraments that uh, I've mm. got, and it's quite difficult to get now, in which she described in great detail this, uh, mm. this energy that comes from the sacraments. Yeah. I, I tend to feel that there are many um, everyday rituals in life which are sacramental. Oh, I'm sure there are um, other ways as well. Yeah. Sort of sharing a meal with someone, if if it's done 
with the with a a, um, a caring, loving attitude. I think that is sort of the sharing, isn't it? It's course that's what Jesus was doing in the, yeah. in, in the sacrament yeah. and that's why he instituted I think because sharing a meal is such a sacramental thing. Mm. I don't know if you find that if you are in good company and by good company I mean kindred spirits you don't need to eat so much. Do you ever find this? That the, the company is satisfying and a small amount of food is enough to sustain you because the company itself, the, the sharing of your energies is satisfying and people that overeat are usually very unhappy people. They eat for comfort, don't they? That if you are contented and you have good friends and an interesting pursuit, you don't feel so hungry. Well, I, I speak from my own experience, but I'm sure I'm not alone in that. You also don't need. You also, I would say, don't need too much sleep. A lady in the audience has just said that when you're feeling miserable, it's not a good idea to eat, because the food doesn't digest properly. Some people eat more when they're bored, don't they? As well. Yes. Oh, certainly they do. Yes. They eat if they're bored. They eat if they're unhappy. And there's been quite a lot recently talked about chocoholics. The Eating chocolate gives a, a lift, it gives a buzz, and it's the same kind of buzz that you get when somebody loves you. And this eating of chocolate is a substitute for love. Do um, you think it's the caffeine in the chocolate, or do you think it's the, the actual chocolate? Um, I think it's a combination of the caffeine and the sugar. Mm. I mean, sugar will give a quick burst of energy, but yeah. then once the sugar runs out, you get a, a real drop in energy, and, and then you want... Well, I mean, you eat it because you're feeling tired. You get this sudden big lift, and then when it wears out, you get this big drop, and you're sort of yeah. more tired than you were before. Yeah. Mm. So, <coughs> food is a. It, it's something that we we need. Obviously, we need. But it isn't the purpose of life. You know, you eat to live, not live to eat. Have I got that the right way around? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you said you chose some exercise for the same practice. Yes, I will. Okay. So this exercise we do every week in the yoga classes because it works and you can do it sitting where you are and it's an exercise you can use in <coughs> your everyday lives and you can do it almost anywhere you can do it when you're sitting in a traffic jam waiting you can do it when you're feeling tired and you can do it when you're going to bed so if you'd like to be as comfortable as you can in your chair and for this one we will cross the feet because what we're going to do is to close the circuits around the body. When your hands are separate and your feet are apart, you are losing a certain amount of energy through your hands and through your feet because those are your extremities. So to regroup your energies, you need to close off the exits, if you like. So by crossing your ankles, you are bringing the energies together at the bottom of the body and... I want you to try and find the bottom of your rib cage. 
put your fingers on the bottom of your ribcage, both hands, and have the fingers meeting in the middle. <laughs> I mean, this one is much easier if you're lying on the floor. You can lie down if you want to. But if you'd rather just sit still, try and have your arms as relaxed as possible. And we're connecting into the solar plexus. So what we're going to do is some diaphragm breathing. So if you'd like to take a deep breath, try to breathe from here. So try and push those fingers out as you breathe. And then fill the chest. It's really quite difficult when you're sitting. But just remember what I'm saying to you and then go home tonight and do it when you're lying down. Okay, just let the breath go and try it again. So just breathing in gently. And then filling the chest. Your lungs go right to the top here, up to your collarbone. So we're going to use all of the lungs. And then breathing out. So try it once again. Breathing in. And breathing out. So just remember that, and when you go home tonight, before you go to sleep, just take a gentle breath, and as you're lying flat on your back, you will begin to feel the movement in your chest, and you may be surprised to find that you haven't used the bottom of the lungs like that for a long time. I find if I go to sleep feeling shattered and don't do anything towards improving it, I wake up feeling shattered. If, I mean, this is my own experience, you'll have to sort of try it out for yourself. If I go to bed and make a real effort to um, guide my thoughts in a positive direction, I tend to wake up with a lot more energy. So, I don't think you'll find that it will wake you up and make you feel you want to get up and get on with the housework. I think you'll find that it will send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Because it's a bit like counting sheep. What we're going to do, or what I'll show you, is to do a, a counting breath. So as you breathe in, you're going to count to four. And then you're going to hold the breath for the count of eight and then let the breath go down slowly to the count of about six or eight. And that rhythmic breathing will more than likely send you off to sleep. You won't get through very many and you'll be asleep and you won't remember it. So just keep that in mind. The breathing is actually very important. There's another breathing exercise I can explain to you and it's called the alternate nostril breathing. This one has lots of different functions, but it's to do with firstly clearing the sinuses. So what we do is use two fingers and put them on the forehead and then use the thumb and the little finger to alternately close off nostrils in turn. And this will make sure that the sinus passages are clear on both sides. It also has the effect of 
balancing the left brain and the right brain because the sinuses connect through the whole of the head and it has a balancing effect on the thinking processes because you are breathing slowly and you're taking air in on the right and breathing out on the left and then you're taking air in on the left and you're breathing out on the right it's all to do with balance yoga is all about balancing you can try this if you would like to and again you can practice at home if you're interested put two fingers on your forehead and with your thumb if you're using your left hand close the left nostril with your thumb and breathe on the right side just start off by breathing in and out on the right side and assuming that side is clear if it isn't clear say you've got a cold and you can't breathe very well what you can do is just lift the nostril outwards and you may be able to get the circulation moving again and you'll be much more comfortable if you can breathe properly we're going to go to the other side two fingers on the forehead close the right nostril with your little finger and see if you can breathe on the left okay is that one working and then we're going to combine that we're going to close the left breathe in on the right and then hold the breath then close the right breathe out on the left breathe in on the left hold the breath breathe out on the right okay do, do you see the rhythm of that now these are all little exercises that you can do if you could do that each day slowly and carefully it will help to bring a peaceful frame of mind. So you alternate them and breathe in on yeah. one nostril and out on, on the other. other. Yeah, and then, and then you, you change over. Mm. Yeah. And the, the, the importance of the fingers there is that because it's pointing towards the um, brow center or something. Or, or the yes, I expect there is a significance to that. Yeah. Um, it can be done without the balance there on the forehead but I, I expect, I don't know, but I should imagine there is some significance mm. to having your fingers on the, the brow centre as well OK and why it works scientifically, if you'd like to know Yeah, come on then It's because the, uh, what you're doing is you're, you're pumping more oxygen into the bloodstream mm. but in particular you're putting uh, more oxygen into the brain and yeah. we proved through all these magical tests that the more oxygen you put into uh, into the brain the more it relaxes the muscles and the more you feel more relaxed and the more tendency you have to go to sleep 
How are you putting more oxygen in by breathing through one than the other? Why does that give them um, well, well, really, it's... The lady was really talking about breathing, mm. but uh, controlled breathing, or as Pauline will explain, pranayama, mm. which is a controlled breath. Mm. The more uh, oxygen you're bringing in, the more air you're putting in, mm. which will go into the heart and into the bloodstream, and then it goes straight to the head first of all. Mm. And that gives you the relaxation in the muscles. But how does the one nostril rather than two achieve that? Ah, as Pauline pointed out, you're you're balancing both sides of the brain. Mm. Um, and that relaxes the body, it mm. relaxes the muscles, relaxes the, uh, the, uh, mm. the, the brain, gives you this calming effect. Yeah, okay. But it's instigated by the breath. Presumably there's some sort of natural balance through breathing through both at once, which is what we do all the time, uh, because they're doing both at once. Wouldn't they balance out normally, uh, you know, by doing it both at once? You usually um, find that more. Because cause mm. you, you, you block um, one nostril is more freer than the other. Mm. Is it always with all of us? Yes, it yeah. is. Over yeah. a period of, of two hours. Mm. <laughs> yes, you, you will find that one nostril is more dominant at one time and you can actually sort of experiment with this and you will find that you only breathe strongly on one side at one time. There may be <coughs> some work going on in the other nostril but it isn't equal. But isn't that also a pressure point there? Yes, on there is a pressure point there. Mm -hmm. Yes. How are your sciences connected to your brain then? Well, it's the, it's the oxygen going into the bloodstream, and the bloodstream feeds the nerves, and the nerves feed the brain. It's a so it doesn't go through the lungs, it, it goes direct through the sinuses, does it? Or through the nasal passage? Well, it goes into the lungs as well. Yeah. But it's, it's really a concentration. It's actually accelerating the normal processes. Mm. All these processes go on all the time anyway, but y this way you are doing it to the optimum. You are actually sort of bringing your system up to full speed. Mm. A lot of people live their life at, at half speed. They don't breathe deeply enough they only use a quarter of their lung capacity and therefore they are tired most of the time you will find with regular yoga practice you don't get so tired you can cope with a lot more stress a lot more work and a lot more involvement with everything because you have more energy I mean I do speak from experience because I used to be very inhibited very tired very shy always worn out I, I don't feel like that these days. I must say, since I've done yoga, I do feel energized. And after a class, when I've been teaching, I feel on top of the world, generally speaking. I mean, you get the odd class, which doesn't go right, obviously, and you come home and you think, I'll just write that one off. <laughs> I'll forget about that one. But generally speaking, you come home and you feel really good. Is it a good day to wake up in the morning, then? I tend to wake up quite easily in the morning. Um, if you're feeling tired in the morning, is it a complaint? Oh, is, yeah, I see. Um, yes, if you feel tired in the morning, um, there is an exercise. I, I can't really demonstrate it because I've had a meal and you need to do it on an empty stomach. It's called Udiana. And I'll sort of explain it to you, but I don't want to make myself ill doing it. But you, you bend forward, breathing out, and then you rock the diaphragm, you pump 
the stomach in and out. You do it with the knees bent and out breath like that. Men tend to be very good at this. Women, not so good because women's stomach muscles don't tend to be too wonderful, especially after they've had children. <laughs> but that rocks the solar plexus and that will actually get the energy going. And some people do that regularly every day. So if you want to... If you want to ask me about it later on, and I'll try and show you. <coughs> I can, you I can just force the, the chest muscles to breathe more effectively. So we say, like pumping up a car tire. As you yeah. Like. Wouldn't that also do the same same thing? Tend to increase the oxygen getting into the blood, like you would if yeah. you were running. Like yes, I'm sure it would. I think with um, keep fit and aerobic exercise, the only criticism I would have for that is that it is very vigorous and it does make the heart pump very hard. And I think once one gets to middle age, that's perhaps not such a good thing to do too vigorously. One needs to do it sort of carefully. Can I go back and ask you a question about these two sides of the nose? Mm. Um, were you saying that the body adjusts itself to using more of the right or more of the left does it change over from time to time yes approximately every two hours it tends to do this on its own that's assuming the sinuses are free but people who have blocked sinuses will tend to be breathing on one side more or less all the time and over a period of time that becomes very well, unbalanced in a way this is the body doing its own unconscious yoga is this one yes oh yes the body yes if the body is fit it will be doing this anyway all these practices are a means of accelerating evolution but it's what happens anyway but this helps it to happen more quickly it's, it's an enlightenment a path of enlightenment if you like so one can actually move through the processes of life. Could, could we say in, in, in a sense then that if we were totally confident and trusting in life with a big L, if you yeah. will, then all these things should come right anyway. Yes, I'm sure, yes, Literally in theory, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but of course the, the truth is that there is a lot of negativity around us and if, if life was very positive and if all the people around us were positive and things were good I think all these things would happen naturally but so it's a sort of vicious circle or a vicious spiral depending mm. on whether you're going up or down but, yeah. but the, the more of us that are healthy the more healthy we all become you know? yes yeah, that's, that's exactly right because we all affect one another whether we realize it or not, we do affect one another. As I was saying earlier about people that have this personal magnetism, they, you feel that when you're in company with people who are feeling well, you can feel that magnetism. And if people are feeling tired, you feel their tiredness. Now, if you have a large group of people that are feeling very negative, it isn't too long before you feel pretty wiped out. Whereas if you're in a good group which are interested and alive and aware, you go home feeling wonderful. I do after all the Wessex meetings. I don't need to go to sleep till about three in the morning. You probably won't by the time you get back. <laughs> I, I remember reading that most women breathe high in the chest 
and the relaxed person, the chest is still, and the stomach goes up and down. You're breathing right. deeply. Yeah. But a lot of women, they breathe quite quickly with the chest. Is that correct? What I read? I wouldn't say necessarily just women. Yeah. I, th- I, I mean, think... They say it's more appropriate, more women who yeah. breathe that way than... I don't know. Um, I mean, in my experience in yoga classes, men can breathe quite shallow as well. Um, if, if you watch an animal breathing, they breathe from the middle of the body, don't they? You watch a cat if it's, if it's breathing. It very fast, doesn't it? Yes, perhaps that wasn't such a good example. I was thinking of sort of the middle of the body moving. Yes, a cat does breathe fast, yeah. but the middle of the body moves up and down. Yeah. But I think it's fairly general for a lot of people to breathe in a very shallow way. They can't project their voice. They can't sort of talk for very long without their voice going and they they just haven't got the circulation going this is the thing they just don't circulate enough air through their body and of course those who smoke will get further um, oh, yeah. damaged by that mm. Mm. and damage others as well mm. yeah mm. but should we breathe more deeply as we're going along or should it just be an exercise when we think about it Ideally, it should be a way of life. And when you go out for a walk, to try and make it a rhythmic movement. So, to start with, I think you need to make an effort to do these things. It doesn't come naturally. But after a while, you find it does come naturally and you don't have to think about it. But deeper breathing is good for everybody. With one comment, if you have very high blood pressure, you should not over-breathe, you should be reasonable with what you're doing because you don't want to overwork the heart. But this deeper rhythmic breathing is good for everyone. It really is. But it's very interesting what you said about semi-blocked noses. I've known quite a lot of people and I've asked them, have you got a cold or something? Mm. And they seem to, a lot of people seem to go around with largely blocked noses and don't right. seem to think there's anything wrong. Mm. And um, I don't know what mm. that is that's causing it. Maybe some aspect of allergy or pollution or something. Oh yes, yeah, quite possibly it is. But mm. a lot of people don't realise that they're only sort of half awake. Mm. <laughs> 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 I don't want to sound too judgmental, but really that's true. They go around in a daze, you know. They don't really sort of live life to the full. They just go around in a sort of a half awake state. <laughs> <laughs> it's what Gertie has said. He said that uh, most people in the world are like robots. Yeah. Or um, grandfather clocks powered by watch springs. Is mm. Yes, that's right. Um, without enough uh, energy to power uh, the, their, their physical frame. Mm. Actually. Um, yes. Yes. I mean, in an ideal world. We would all be breathing properly, we wouldn't need to do exercises, we could just be these perfect people in utopia. But the sad fact is we live in very turbulent times and we need to put a lot of work in to make the sort of progress we hope for. So, for me anyway, yoga has been a very necessary part of my life for more than two decades. And I don't really know how I'd have coped without it. I think the crises that have come into my life, as with most people, we all have problems and crises, 
it certainly helped me to cope and I don't really know how I'd have managed without it. <laughs>